Episode 99, Readmissions and Mental Health. Today, I speak with Lauren Sushik from Mindula. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. When attempting to reduce readmissions, mental illness is going to come up. Not because psych issues will necessarily be the cause of any given readmission, but because of the correlation between the two. And because of the, let's just say, less than supportive and optimal social and environmental circumstances that mental illnesses can easily perpetuate. Today, I speak with Lauren Sushik from Mindula. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. What I wanted to speak with you about today is reducing hospital readmissions for those with mental illness. Mm -hmm. How would you define mental illness? For us, it's not really a definition of a diagnosis. So what we do is really strive to work with individuals and just say, well, what are you struggling with? What are the obstacles that you're up against? Which I think is a much broader definition than generally what the healthcare system has been using. For some individuals, that can be small tasks. And for other individuals, those can be major things like employment or relationships or just daily functioning and getting out of your door. And you can feel like the weight and the pressure of all of the things around you and your inability to get moving on those things. So we don't really like to say, oh, there's a label and, and that's what you have and that's what your diagnosis is. Although if we're trying to prioritize and target patients, if we're trying to prioritize and figure out who is most impactable and in an effort to reduce readmissions, obviously we have to be pretty focused and put our dollars where they're going to produce the most impact. I could see how identifying those who have the propensity, say, to be most likely to be readmitted, it would be important to identify those individuals. Do you have any insight? You know, that's one of the most interesting things that we have found in the work that we've been doing since the fall in our readmission reduction program is because you would traditionally think that those kind of demographics would be what would lead you to say, okay, this is what we can predict. It's going to be this condition or this is going to be this diagnosis or it's going to be this complexity of the case or the degree to which this person is a high utilizer. But actually what we've been finding that is determining the readmission is that it often turns out that what their level of staying engaged with our case managers is, that's what's been determining whether or not they readmit. So what we find is that individuals who are able to stay more engaged with us have lower readmission rates. And individuals who are not as engaged with us for a whole host of reasons, regardless of what their diagnosis says, those are the individuals who we are not able to assist as much because they are not as engaged with us. And those are the individuals who are likely to go back to the hospital at a more frequent rate. That's what's really been fascinating because it's not that traditional thinking, which I think for a lot of us is what we thought we were going to find. I had started out asking about mental illness, thinking that, I mean, there's a number of different statistics which show that people who 
suffer from whatever they're considering a diagnosis of mental illness to be, that those individuals are highly likely to readmit. What you're saying is that maybe not. Yeah, there's definitely, and I don't want to take away from that population, there's definitely individuals who are going to go back to the hospital because they're having worsening or increasing symptoms, or maybe they're having side effects from their medications. But there's also a segment of the population that's having a difficult time maybe getting their medications, or they're having problems with food, housing, transportation, loneliness, connecting with their doctors on the outside. And those individuals who are going back to the hospital, those are the ones that we're really able to engage with and make impactful, meaningful service engagement with to lower readmissions. And that's across the spectrum of whatever the diagnosis is, because it really doesn't matter whether or not you're having your first incident of anxiety or whether or not you have a serious mental illness. If you're having a hard time getting your prescriptions filled and you're going back to the hospital for that, and that's why you're being readmitted, we can help you regardless of your diagnosis in that area. What you've brought up now is what I've heard variously labeled social determinants of health or Mm -hmm. environmental factors or, I mean, there's a report that Dave Chase introduced me to by Cascadia Health, which showed that 80% of outcomes are not driven in the clinical setting. It sounds like what we're talking about now, mainly or maybe 80% of what we're talking about now, has nothing to do with a clinical diagnosis. It has everything to do with whatever is contained within that 80%. And that's really what we find is that it's not everything, but it's so much of the work that we end up doing. We're out here making sure that if what you need to do is go back to the hospital because you're having worsening symptoms or increased psychosis, by all means, you need to go back. But if what you need is assistance in understanding your medications or getting your medications filled, that's not an incident where the ED is supposed to come into play. That's something where we can help you understand and maybe help take you or effectively engage with your pharmacist and help you understand your medications and how to take them. I know that there's many organizations who are out there very furiously trying to get their arms around social determinants of health and how best to tackle this relatively mammoth and very tangled web that Mm -hmm. that that entails. What is the overlay between that and mental illness? Is there a very specific or any sort of special way wherein if someone is on the cusp of or has been diagnosed with mental illness, that an issue with a social determinant needs to be handled in a very specific way, that it might not if someone just simply has heart failure and no other diagnosis. Your discharge instructions are typically the same, regardless of whether or not you're a patient from X, Y, or Z. You have certain instructions that you need to follow, which are going to optimize your health, regardless of where the setting is. The problem for the mental health population is that there are so many of these other factors which then come into play, which then make it almost impossible for them to follow through on those discharge plans, which is what ends up happening in our remission reduction program. So we then take those discharge plans and try to reduce those barriers to following through on the plan that the hospital is laying out. So for so many of our individuals, they may not have the resources available to them. It's not that they have it after, it's that they, they didn't have it to begin with. 
What of those factors are very specific to those with mental illness? Or are we basically... I don't think it's that it's specific, it's that they're more prevalent. So that you have higher rates of homelessness in the mental health population. You have higher rates of unemployment in the homeless population. So many individuals who have severe mental illness, have less familial resources and less monetary resources. So for example, I'm just going to keep harping on medication issues. If I don't have insurance or, and I don't have employment and I'm not able to financially afford my medications, I'm less likely to be compliant with those medications because I was not able to get them in the first place. It sounds like the issue here is not necessarily the diagnosis of the mental illness. It's the repercussion of it on other factors or on other conditions. Absolutely. And that's, and and obviously we all know that a lack of employment and a lack of health insurance is not unique to the mental health population by any stretch of the imagination, but it's simply more prevalent. And it's certainly something that exists before an individual goes into the hospital. Lauren, you are the vice president of case management and family services over at Mine Doula. And correct me if I'm wrong, you started out with case managers, primarily focused on the mental health patient population, then also are beginning to add technology components to what you're doing. The tech has always been central to what we do. And I feel like it's really at the heart and what has allowed us to expand. So Case management is nothing new. Case management's been around forever. I think how we deliver case management is kind of what's radically different. So what happens is what we've been able to do is have this kind of amazing HIPAA-compliant mobile engagement app. We have proprietary telehealth platform. We have proprietary psychometrics, predictive analytics. We have collaborative care software. All of this, what it does is that it enables us to work better. Typically, case management has been something that's small scale. It's the kind of the province of the urban elite and is not something that's been readily available to poor populations, rural populations. It's not something that has been able to be delivered virtually. It certainly hasn't been something that's been able to be delivered 24-7, 365. And so by uniting the two, by taking case management and adding all of this kind of terrific tech, we've been able to scale it and offer it to more people and have been able to offer it at an affordable rate. And that's, I think, what's really different is that we can then engage with people on a distant level. And that's where we're getting better outcomes. You know, so many times people are like, well, it's just the technology and it's not just the technology. The technology does allow us to respond quicker, share caseloads, understand where individuals are going, which obviously allows us to do faster response time. And so all of that really speaks to what you mentioned previously about understanding where populations are going, which drives down readmission rates. And that is so essential to what we're doing. At the same time, because we're more connected to the individuals that we serve, people will simply tell us things like, I'm thinking about going back to the hospital because I don't have food. Or I'm really scared about the side effects that I'm feeling right now and I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about going back to the hospital. Because we're so connected with them, they simply tell us what's going on. And then we're able to interact with them and be able to go over the myriad of other options they have other than just going back to the emergency room. I'm experiencing a disconnect because I was under the impression that Mindula primarily served patients with mental health, and that was kind of the platform and and what you Mm -hmm. had devised very specifically to serve that patient population. But it sounds like 
that's almost like a factor that tends to come up frequently. It's not really a central point. No, it's it's certainly central. The individuals that we're serving are all discharged from the psychiatric unit. So that is all their primary diagnosis. It's just so often not the major thing that we focus on because it's not how we identify individuals and it's not often that they need our assistance with. So often what it is is that they need functional assistance, not clinical assistance. And our case managers aren't clinicians and we're not here to replace the clinical care that they're already receiving, whether or not that's from their primary care physicians or their psychiatrists or their therapists, we're here to augment them. So a really good example of that would be you have an individual who has difficulty with transportation getting to and from their therapy, and they need help implementing a different plan. Maybe they had a really terrible car accident. They've been experiencing an extreme amount of anxiety with driving, and they're just not able to get back behind the wheel of the car. And they need to get to those therapy appointments. Therapy is the clinical intervention. Case management is there to help you figure out how do you get to your therapy appointments. And how much has the readmission, the hospital readmission reduction program affected what you're doing? It's a major part of what our focus of our business is. I think the most important numbers to focus on is that in our first hospital, their readmission numbers were about 21 per month. So you're looking at about anywhere between 12 to 16 individuals going back to the same hospital and then anywhere between another like five to nine per month going back to another hospital in Maryland within a 30-day period post-discharge. So we've gotten those numbers down dramatically. So we're averaging out about a 58% reduction rate, just a little over that for on a six-month average. And in one month, we got that down to only four individuals readmitting for the month. So, I mean, that's a, that's a major decrease from 21 individuals down to four for one month. Yeah, absolutely. So educate me on something. As far as I know, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert on this, the hospital readmission reduction program is primarily focused on clinical conditions like heart attacks, heart failure, pneumonia. So if these patients are being discharged from a psychiatric ward, what is, and pardon me, I have an economics degree, so I'm I'm just like immediately I'm going to go there. What's the financial incentive Oh, no, absolutely. So in Maryland, all hospitals are penalized under an all-cause penalty framework. So this is referred to as an ARR. It's an admission reduction revenue arrangement. So what ends up happening is that the R remission reduction program, it helps individuals by really driving down the cost because hospitals are penalized across the board for any readmission within 30 days. So any unnecessary readmissions are going to drive up costs for hospitals. And particularly hospitals that have a bonus incentive, that is really going to be a major determiner about whether or not they may be in the red or they're going to be in the black that year. And when you talk to hospitals and you really get to look at how many of these ED admissions, particularly for psych individuals, and you see how often these are unnecessary readmissions, you're really looking at the REITs. You see so many of these fall into that category. So for example, you know, we have some individuals who admitted to us that they're going back to the hospital because their families need respite from them, not because they actually need care, but because their families genuinely need a break. And that's how they see the ED so that they've been 
quite frankly, coached to say certain things so that they get an admission with the average hospital admission being about four to five days, their families would be able to have that break. That's not what the hospital wants to be paying for. And unfortunately, without families having the available resources to them and the knowledge of the other options that they could have, the hospital's on the hook, quote unquote, for paying for that. And that's what how we drive down costs for the hospital by intervening before the individual goes there to make them aware of alternatives so that the hospital doesn't have to pay for that unnecessary readmission. What's an alternative? Depending upon what the individual situation is, I mean, there are other respite options available. There are actually like respite beds available depending upon what like an individual's insurance may be. There are crisis centers available. So we may look at what that individual's particular situation is and see what's available to them based upon their insurance or even lack of insurance. I mean, sometimes individuals have other options even based upon not having insurance or being on Medicare or Medicaid. And so we take a look at that and see what's available to them. It sounds like how this whole thing works. Patient gets discharged from one of the hospitals that is your customer and immediately you have an individual reach out, you know, one of your case managers reach out to that person and get a beat on the, the scene. Does this happen on the telephone or how does this work? What's the story? Originally, what we did, and this was something that we learned, is that it was important to have an individual on the unit. So we staff a case manager there at the hospital anywhere between 40 to 50 hours a week. So you get a chance to meet somebody from Mindula who talks to you about the program, how the program's going to work, what the services you're going to be, and answer any questions that you have prior to discharge. And then you get to determine how you want contact to be made within 24 hours. Some people want contact immediately upon leaving the hospital, and other people are like, please just let me go home, get settled in with my family, and I'd like a call the following day. Some individuals want to be texts. Some individuals want to have a phone call and some people want to meet in person. And so we have the flexibility and we are tech enabled enough to really be able to meet people wherever they're at, regardless of their tech ability. So what the individual on the unit does is determine with them how they want the contact. And then we respond in accordance to that. And then they get 30 days of service from us. And for some individuals, they want what we would kind of determine to be light touch where we're reaching out to them only a couple of times a week to make sure that they're doing fine. Is there anything that they need? They may ask us a couple clarifying questions. They may say, I'm confused about this, that, or the other. I don't understand this part of the discharge plan. Or there may be a problem with the doctor I was trying to follow up with. Can I get a different appointment? And we may help facilitate that. Or there may be an individual who needs daily contact with us, and we're more than capable of providing that to make sure that they're doing well in the days following their hospitalization. You had mentioned earlier about the expense of mm -hmm. case management and what you just described sounds very expensive. But you would also mm -hmm. mention that one of the revelations or competitive advantages, I guess, that Mindula had figured out is how to scale that case management using technology. Oh, absolutely. Without the tech, it just simply wouldn't be possible for us to scale the way that we had. And there is a lot of incentives for hospitals to look at programs like ours, particularly Mindula's, because with psych discharges, usually accounting for about 10% of a hospital's discharges, the and with discharge patients readmitting within 30 days at a rate that's generally about 33% higher than other discharges, it's a major driver of readmission penalty. This means that, well, on an adjusted basis, that psych readmits are about 13% of the total hospital readmits. 
So since we have been able to deliver with our tech platform re-emission reductions that sometimes for, for one, like one of our months as high as 80%, hospitals really have an incentive to pay for like a Mandula re-emission reduction program because we're going to be able to deliver meaningful cost reduction to the hospital. How are you scaling with tech? So many people love to engage over text message. And they're more, one, available over a text message. I mean, so often individuals aren't able to pick up a phone where they're at. It may not be a confidential environment where they're able to talk and they're able to answer questions. So one, text message allows us to be more engaged with individuals at a greater amount of time. Two, it also, and we're able to do that because we've developed a HIPAA compliant text platform. So nobody needs to worry about whether or not their text messages are protected. The other thing is, is that tech allows us to kind of share the load. Traditionally in case management, you get assigned a number of cases and you're just kind of tossed into the deep end of the pool and, and told to manage them. Tech allows us to share. At Mindula, you get a primary case manager, a secondary case manager, a tertiary case manager, and then you get a fourth individual who we, we refer to them as a customer service Mindula. And that's where we always get that image of our four individuals that you see kind of plastered everywhere in all of our, like our website, on our business cards, on our handouts, because it's really important for us to have everyone know that we work in teams. And we wouldn't be able to communicate with each other to then serve the individuals that we work with if we didn't have tech to enable that. If we had to stop everything that we were doing to call each other, to be able to review everyone that we were working with, we simply wouldn't be able to serve a higher volume of individuals. The tech allows us to do that seamlessly, efficiently, quickly. I mean, this is what allows us to figure out who's closest to a hospital if we need to respond quickly. This is what allows us to be able to move schedules around so that we can cover somebody at three o'clock in the morning to make sure that if somebody's going to be calling our 1-800 number, that phone always gets answered and nobody has to wait to talk to someone. I know that recently Mindula completed an acquisition of Carrot Hand. Oh, yes. Who I had interviewed actually earlier. And Carrot hand specialty is predictive analytics. Like, how are you incorporating that into what you're doing? Oh, we're so excited about the Carrot Hand acquisition. So they're now like a wholly owned subsidiary of Mindula Health. And you're exactly right. They have this proprietary software tool with these survey questions, never more than 15, always able to be administered in three minutes or less by non-clinical staff. And they have the psychometrics and algorithms that enable whomever the non-medical entity is. So whether or not that's a case manager, um, whether or not that is a family member, whether or not that's a CNA, or whether or not that's like a peer support specialist, that individual is able to help predict hospitalization risk and be proactive about addressing the risk. And so clearly what we're most excited about is that it's not just another way for us to be proactive in identifying people who are likely to readmit and get out in front of a potential readmission so that we can really expand what our level of engagement is, but that this is a reliable tool that non-medical staff can use. So often there are assessments out there, you know, they rely on the clinical staff, which is again, not something that we're trying to replicate or replace. This is something that our staff can do there with the individual 
And we can then relay that to clinical staff so that we're providing valuable information back to the entities that already exist. So that if we do have an individual who's in the ED who does need to be readmitted, we're giving them the best information that we can possibly give them. The Carrot Hand interview, which I just looked up, is episode 85. I did also recently interview Monique Bat of Healthify, episode 79. And their whole specialty, actually they are in Maryland as well, is identifying the best services in order to help those in need of such. In other words, if someone needs a food bank, what's the best food bank in their area? Or if someone needs help getting with, with transportation, for example, mm-hmm. who can they call? Mm-hmm. It sounds like what your case managers are doing is hooking individuals up with services such as that. How are they figuring out which are the best in any given area? We actually have an individual who's on staff who makes sure that we are constantly being exposed to services in the community. So we work relentlessly, no pun intended, to make sure that we're always reaching out and understanding what service providers exist in the area. We meet with them. We go to them. We do in-services to make sure that we're consistently expanding our knowledge of what exists in the community and what the individuals that we serve can avail themselves of. So I think that that's, that's something that we have to constantly stay on target about to make sure that we know what's out there. Clearly, Healthify's work is important. And what we want to make sure that we do is not just make sure that somebody's aware of it, but if they need assistance in linking to a service. So if you actually need assistance in making an appointment, a case manager can make that appointment with you. If you need help in setting up transportation, we will actually set up that transportation for you. If you need help in rescheduling an appointment or making a decision between whether or not like this may be best for you or this best for you, we can go over kind of the pros and cons with you. Because I think so often information is just too much for people when you come out of the hospital. You really need somebody to kind of hold your hand and shepherd you through decisions. And that's one of the things that we're able to do for individuals. Where can people find more information about Mindula? Should they be interested, Lauren? Oh, they can go to mindula.com. If anybody's come from a hospital, a hospital system, payer, uh, any potential enterprise partner, they should definitely click on our for enterprise section. You can also call our toll-free number at 888-879-9786 or email us at info at mindula.com. And if anybody's emailing me personally, you can reach out to me at lauren at mindula.com. I thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.